be seated. Yes, you may. And uh, I am going to tell you right now the secret as to why there are more people over here. If you didn't know this, that's not the secret. Uh, Over on this side, the air conditioning comes from there. So if you're like, I'm a little lonely over here, why do they all like each other so much? It's not that they like each other so much, it's that they like the air conditioning, okay? Just a secret. Uh, This week, as I was uh, praying through and thinking about kind of where we are and and what's what's going on in the life of the church, uh, I was thinking about just that. I was thinking about life. I was just thinking about what does it mean to have life abundant when the scriptures and what God has proposed through Jesus Christ is that we have life and that he draws us into life from death. So we know that the wages of sin is death. We know that there's a way of death and we're all pretty familiar with destruction and brokenness. If you live on this planet and you're aware of anything at all, we see that there's destruction But God is proposing and breathing into us through the Holy Spirit a life that is maximum. And so if you see your little Sunday brochures, that's why the word maximum is on there. I just want to talk a little bit about today about what does it mean to have max life? What does it mean to be a community that has maximum life? And and who is it that we are serving? Who is it that we're coming to sing among who is it that we're seeking in this, and and to talk about a little bit of, uh, of course we think in terms of ourselves. So what does our maximum life look like? What does it look like when we come here to be a community? What does that mean to the rest of our culture? And um, what is a max God proposing for us? So I just wanted to ask you a few questions. So let's just go into maximum here, okay? So ax- maximum basically means the highest or the largest. Uh, the utmost, and just a symbol of that, the reason I put the Mount Hood on there is it just, it's max. When you see it in its glory, um, it's maxing out, it's doing its job, it's, it's, it's life on the planet. As when we look at the planet at times, we do see tragedy, we see minimum, we see the gulf, right? And we see that's not a maximum situation. But as you think about maximum and maximum lives, let me ask you this, and there's going to be varying opinions. And I want to hear from you, okay? So be comfortable to hear each other and to, to talk loudly. What's a maximum job look like? What's the max job? If you could have any job and it's, it's, it's the plus job for you, it's the, the richest job you could have, what would that be? Pimp my ride. <laughs> I, knew, I knew this was going to put us into some gray area. No, I'm just kidding. Pit my ride, okay. When you like going into work every day, good. Max, what's a max job? What job is just plush? Is there one? What's the maximum in technology? Lasers. Laser cats. Lasers. Technology. There's lots of Mac fans. Maybe if you're in the medical field, you see technology max out. 
What's a max athlete? Who's just a maximum? LeBron seems pretty. Now we're going to have a debate. <laughs> who's, who's a maximum entertainer? Michael Jackson. Dave Chappelle. That's beautiful. So as we think about max, what's the max health? I look at this uh, infomercial all over the time, the P90X. I'm like, that's maxing out health. There's results. You see growth, right? And it might not be your max, but when I look at that, it just seems like that's a max effort. That's, that's what max health looks like. Maxing out what your life and what your body and, and what your structure would look like. We can talk about what's a maximum disaster on the planet look like. We can talk about what's a maximum vacation. What's that vacation that's in your head that, that, would, that would just be max? We can look at people and lifestyles and careers and we can look all over the planet and we can look for how can we be associated even with max? How can we see what maximum looks like? How can we attach ourselves to maximum? And, and that's what God is saying. And the scripture today that we're going to look at, and you can start turning there, we're going to 1 Thessalonians. And the reason I was drawn there this week as I was reading the word is there's a proposal here of what it looks like to live maximally, to have your life going on all cylinders. Right now my van, when I start my van, it goes... And it reminds me of years ago when I had another... A car that did that, I think one of the cylinders is going out. That's a lousy feeling. So you're like, and then so I'm hitting the gas pedal, and I can tell we got a little less power. And so I can tell it's, it's losing. It's not maximizing its power, its pressure, right? So, but as we think about that, what does it look like for us to live on all cylinders? And, and I can't really tell you that. I didn't come here to break down this whole life. And, and so we go, hey, what was the sermon about? Well, he really proposed what max life is. You know, the truth is, is I don't know what God's max is for you. I don't know what a maximum life being fulfilled by God looks like for you. But this is the proposal this morning. As we come before the scriptures, as we subject ourselves to the scriptures and what God has said through his living word, a living God, Not a stale idol, not some notion or ideology, not just some structure, but as God living and breathing and and breathing upon us, his his life through the Holy Spirit, what is that going to look like for us? And so my deepest desire as a pastor this morning is for us to open these scriptures, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, right at the beginning, and see what this says to us. And as we leave here, what will that look like? Will you please stand? As we read this, we're going to read 10 verses of what it means to be maxing life out, to living on all cylinders. Let's see what Paul says. Uh, Just to give you an idea of where this letter is landing, it's landing uh, in a city that was uh, founded, uh, it's it's a shipping center. At this time, people, kind of the commentaries and the scholars, they argue a little bit about the populace. It's probably 200,000 people. Um, today, it's over 300,000. The city exists today. Uh, the name Thessalonike, uh, Thessalonike, or Thessaloniki comes from 
a name of a woman who was married to King Cassander. King Cassander is the one who named this city after his wife. She was also the half-sister of Alexander the Great. A little bit of history there. It's on the uh, Aegean shore, so there's lots of trade, and it's very diverse. So you have, uh, you have Greeks, you have Jews, you have Asians. So you have a very diverse culture that this letter is, is coming to. And we're going to hear what Paul says to these people of, as they've received the gospel. In light of what we're talking about today, what does it mean to have a maximum life? This will give us a preview as to some of the components of what it means to, to function on all cylinders, okay? So here we go. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in the word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all, the, all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You may be seated. If you're a note taker, we see a little bit of God's plan for maximum growth. And that's the first point that he's making here. But he's, he's doing this greeting with his partners. And we talk a lot about this, that we need to have partners in the journey. We just emphasize this and reemphasize this. And Paul did through his letter to, to uh, Philippi, to the Philippians. We speak about the partners. So look at verse 1. You'll see Paul, and then actually, that's the longer name uh, for Silas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So uh, I don't know why, but Silas in my mind is kind of like this bodyguard, and Timothy's the one he's discipling, and uh, I'm sure they're all discipling and mentoring and coaching each other, but they're doing life together, and they're partnering in this life. So one thing that you must know is if you're looking for maximum growth and if you're looking to follow God, one of the things that's non-negotiable that you'll see throughout the letters, throughout the scriptures, is that God partners people up. You're not meant to be alone in this max life. You won't have a max life alone. We see that from Genesis on. You're not made to travel alone. This isn't the way it goes. You just don't get to go out into isolation. Isolation's the enemy of community. And in community that's growing, that's maxing out life, that's maxing out the purposes that God has for it, that's showing the maximum power and being sent by God into culture, doesn't do it alone. And so you see right from the get-go in their greeting that they're not doing this alone. And here's the other thing that I want you to notice. He says, 
in God. So he gives this greeting, and then he talks to them about the church and being the called out ones. And he says, as you are on a journey, as we journeyed with you, you saw how we get to the words imitate and example. And so he's saying, hey, as my crew came in with you, and we were among you, you got it, you imitated it. Now people are talking about you. So now you're the crew that people are talking. You're the example. But he's saying this. He's saying, you are the called out ones. In, in the original language, you would see, you're called out. And here's what he says towards the end of uh, verse 1. He says, in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're in God's authority. He's saying, you're called out in the power of Jesus Christ. That's where Maxine starts out. That's our two easy notes for you to take right now. I partner and I journey. In order to seek the max life, I've got to be with others. And I've got to be in God's authority. Max life doesn't come from anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. Period. We can argue all day long. I love to have conversations about this with people. Because what God has set up in Jesus Christ is where it all begins. And we must submit right away to his power and his authority. If you're running from God's power and authority, I'll tell you right now, you will never reach any maximum. You will never be filled by the Holy Spirit when you seek to go your will as opposed to living under God's will. He says this at the end of verse 1. He says, grace to you and peace. Grace, this is the basis of which God brings salvation. Do you know why Paul's so stoked talking to these guys? Is he's remembering them coming to Jesus. This morning when I was praying with some brothers, one of them said, I remember you calling me God. He's remembering that and he says, grace and peace to you, this is the basis in which God delivers the goods. There's an atmosphere We have to travel by grace. It means that we're accepting and each other belong. So as we travel and as we journey in Christ, then we're together. We're only in verse 1. Hear how powerful this is. That he says, this is how God brings people to peace. He says, grace and peace to you. He says, grace is the atmosphere in which God says, it's okay just as you are right now as you come to this table today as we symbolize coming to Christ, as we meet him in communion, the living God, he's saying grace is that that we give each other a break. That's just the modern language is that you would accept where the person is next to you, across from you. As you journey together, that grace would be that atmosphere that God brings peace and salvation. Verse 2. He's saying, I'm thankful. We give thanks to God always for all of you. So as he's talking about this maximum growth, maximum growth creates a thankfulness. When you're looking and you're traveling by grace and you're partnering with each other and we're with one another, I'm with you. That's what God's big statement is when Jesus is born, God with us. Well, he wants us to be Emmanuelized. He wants us to go, God is with us through Jesus. And he he wants the world to go, God is with us through those people. And as we travel together, we are with and for one another. He says, this is how it, it happens. And so I'm thankful for you, all constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God. 
I want you to be people that are remembering one another as salvation occurs, as people are getting dunked in that baptismal, as we're together, as we go to the beach or the river and people are saying, I'm in Christ. I want you to remember that in partnering and living in this life of grace, that God is not only delivering peace to you, but you are thankful that he's delivering peace to others. And then he goes into verse 3. Look at verse 3. Okay, we have the trifecta of grace. He's saying this. He says this grace atmosphere, he goes on to describe it a little bit. He's saying grace will bring peace to you in in Christ Jesus as we travel, as we're seeking maximum growth. And then here's these three words. If you're a note taker, this is golden. Faith, love, and hope. Do you know what faith, love, and hope are? Faith, love, and hope are evidence of God's grace. They're evidence. You see faith. You see people laboring and working in love. You see people striving and moving forward because when grace is in place, you'll see these things and you'll go, is God here? Is, is, is this a place that I really can grow maximally? Is this really a community? Is, can I grow in this place? And God has said, an indication, an evidence of this grace for you is faith, love, and hope. It's the trifecta. The cylinders are going. See, the cylinders are going, and max, max God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Max grace atmosphere, and the evidence of that is faith, love, and hope. He's saying a work of faith, not that you work to get faith. Faith is given to you. That's what grace is. Grace means that all of these things are given to you, and your response is that you love. He's not saying you work to receive love. He's saying because of this grace and peace that has arrived to you, faith, love, and hope will abound. So it's not faith plus works. This, is, this faith, love, and hope is an atmosphere that prompts and endures and produces Christ-likeness. This is what the goal is. To, to have a max life is to live in the likeness of Christ. To live hidden in Him. Let's look at verse 3. Remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Other translations will say there on steadfast, it'll say your patience. But here's what he's predicating. He's saying at the very end that faith, love, and hope all need to be attached to an object, which is Jesus Christ. The object of faith, the object of, of love, the object of, of hope is in Christ. Four, look at verse four. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. When we're looking for God's plan of maximum growth, you need to know that He sought you out. That He has maximum life for you. That He chose you. That maximum life, see we get so stirred to go, my max life will look
max life will have this. We can talk about my max life will have this vacation. My max life will have this bank account. My max life will have this profession. My max life will have these activities for me. My max life will look like this. And God says, you need to look no further than being identified as one that is so loved. That the beginning of you being a part of a maximum economy, God's economy, being a part of abnormal, peculiar love and labor and faith is that God chose you. That's the first realization your heart should jump at. That God chose you. That your identity is in that. And that salvation begins with knowing God. And that you're deeply involved with His love. It's God who chooses. Now check this out. This is a nugget. It's God who chooses. So God's saying, I love you and I choose you. And it's God who changes. So if you're not having this max life, if you're not experiencing growth, you need to know that God is the one who chooses you for that growth. And so you need to continuously keep coming to Him and being in Him. That's very hard. That's very difficult. In fact, we're going to get to a piece of the Scripture where He says this. There's a lot of tension in that. As I try to travel and to be in God and to be in Christ and under that authority, as I'm seeking this max life, I'm between two things. I'm between affliction and joy. And so there's great tension in my identity as I'm being loved. There's there's language and voices and things that are being offered to me called idolatry. And he's going to get to that also. And he's going to say, there's things that are being placed in front of you that are empty, that are ideologies, that are ways of life, that are in competition to this. I want you to remember one thing. As I remember that God delivered salvation to you, and as you remember, salvation has been given to me by grace. That's why I have peace is I'm rescued. I'm no longer in a fragmented, messed up situation. God has addressed this situation and pulled me from it. And when I remember you, those who I'm partnering and who I'm bringing the word to, I'm telling you that this peace and this salvation is everything that brings joy, but it comes at a cost. And the first tension is at the cross for Jesus, where there was affliction that brought great joy to us. But as we seek to imitate Christ, and as we grow in this maximum life to live like Jesus to have Him be the object of our faith, love, and hope, our labors, our patience. He is saying that our identity is that we are loved throughout that. Do you hear this atmosphere of which people grow is where they're accepted, where there is labor and there is, there is striving and, and moving forward, where there is pouring out for one another, where there is thankfulness, and that Jesus is the ultimate object. So when we look at each other, Here's how that changes. I see Jesus. Jesus is in me. I'm viewing you the way Christ would have me view you in his love. And so now I'm in a grace atmosphere filled with faith, love, and hope. And people grow. That is a contagious atmosphere where he's talking about that. Look at verse 5. After he says, you're loved by God because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power. Underline that, would you? Because our gospel came to you not only in the words, so not only did we tell you the story and bring you the fulfillment of the scriptures that we all know and connect them to Jesus, that from Genesis on into their life and into the letters that are being written and received, that God is, 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 is being illustrated, that, 
That's not only happening in word that you would see that and you, you would connect all of that, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying there is he's saying not only in word, but this is happening inside of you, that this is a power that's happening inside of you. I want to ask you this. What power is inside of you? What power is fueling your cylinders? As you are seeking and you're focusing, are you focused on Christ saying, bring me through your grace more of your evidence of this grace. More faith bring to me. More hope bring to me. Bring to me these components so that I can live and love and labor in partnership. Answer this question for yourself. Do you really have partners in your faith? Are you really side by side with others? Are you really striving? Because he's saying this in verse 5. He says, if you're to have a max life and there's max power, the gospel isn't just words, it's happening inside of you. And in Paul himself, he's saying, it's not just in my preaching, it's in the way that I lived among you. So here's the question, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ in here, if you're following Jesus does your life also match up with the words that you're using? When your life preaches, when you preach actual words, does your lifestyle have that same empowerment? That's called, it's kind of a religious sounding word, anointing. Is God's covering, is the power of the Holy Spirit functioning inside of you, not in just words, but also in the way that you live? And it was in Paul. And here's what he says, right? He says, when I came among you and I spoke these words and I lived among you, they received that. And now that everyone in all directions now see that the words they speak and the way that they live is being seen from all over. And so it's touching their culture. Now, so far, you can hear Red Sea's mission in this scripture. We can see in Christ and what a community looks like. And when a community can say and live this max life, then the culture is impacted. There's a ringing from the cross of Calvary that rings out throughout all of time, that rings into our hearts and into our community and ultimately into this world. This is the economy he's talking about. This max life came that way. He's saying without the Spirit, you cannot see, you can't see these things. Without the Spirit, you can't see what God's doing, what God's up to. We need to be seeking the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit out of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the least understood of the persons of the Godhead, of who God is. But we need the Holy Spirit so that we can have this empowerment. Otherwise, we can't see God or ourselves correctly. So unless we're seeking God through the Holy Spirit, unless we're receiving by grace faith, love, and hope, unless we're partnering and seeking what the Holy Spirit has for us, we can't see what God is doing. So you can say, I'm going to seek, I'm going to seek a maximum life. I want to seek what it means to be fulfilled in God and in Christ. But he's saying, you need the Holy Spirit. So you have Christ for salvation, but he's saying you must move into a relationship of knowing the Holy Spirit because when you know the Holy Spirit, you'll not only know God more, you'll know yourself more. We say this a lot. If you don't have a correct recognition of who God is, then you don't have a correct recognition of who you are. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells you God chose you and loved you. 
That's when you go, yes, that, this is God's sovereign plan through Jesus Christ that he's seeking to save me. I was lost. I was blind. I now see. I was broken, and now I'm being made whole. But the Holy Spirit is the one who shows you that whole picture. And so as you grow in your relationship with God, as you grow to maximize what God has for you, what he chose for you, as we're on mission together, this is what happens through the Holy Spirit. It's a deeply satisfying relationship. If you're looking for a deeply satisfying relationship, then you must take time to invest in that relationship. And what God wants you to do is start talking to him more. I want you to know this week I felt a ridiculous black cloud, well actually a couple weeks ago, come in over us. As the pastor, I feel like God gave me eyes to see this. Through the Holy Spirit, he showed me that there was darkness that there is darkness. And we're like, well, no, duh. But sometimes God just lets you know, hey, we're, you're going to go through a season. And so, you know what happened? Two days later, after I said this to my wife, the phone starts going off the hook with people saying, this is jacked up. This is messed up. Having a hard time here. Kind of messed up on this. So we start talking and loving and bringing people into what? This evidence of grace. The trifecta of grace, faith, love, and hope. And we sit down and we repaint the picture to say, here is what life is all about, and that is under threat. So when he uses the word towards the Thessalonians, hey, you had affliction. When you received this word, the good news, you were in, you, there was affliction going on. He's saying there was brokenness. You know what that looks like? Some, some people say, well, I get salvation, but there's affliction going on. Jesus didn't make my life... Uh, uh, Lily pads or a tulip field or whatever your max environment is. God just didn't put me in that full time. There seems to be seasons. And I think what he's talking about with these guys, he's saying, you were in affliction. Maybe they were losing their jobs because the culture said, we're, we're a culture without Christ. And all of a sudden they start following Christ and they start accepting each other. And, and maybe they're not discriminating as much in their diverse community in their city. And maybe they're not as concerned about the shipping industry and making all of their money. And maybe they're being even let go of their jobs. Maybe they're making choices that sets them apart. Maybe through this scripture it says there's deep conviction. Maybe this is the key to having the Holy Spirit is when God is talking to you, are you listening? When God is telling you to go left, are you still going right? Maybe that's the affliction that's happening is they're being confronted over and over and the hard decision is to go one way where the Holy Spirit is leading them and it says the key to a max life in this, the gospel that you've received is that you would have a deep conviction, that you would be filled with this measure through the Holy Spirit of direction and purpose. If you're saying, I'm lacking in life right now, then you can ask yourself this key question. Am I obeying God? And I'm not here to tell you, by obeying God, prosperity, wealth, that all your health problems are going away, and all those irritating uh, relatives that you're going to have a reunion with next month, they're going away, or that your checkbook will change or, or be different. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, do you live with this joy of knowing that you are following the Holy Spirit into the life that he's called for you? And no matter what that looks like in whatever context, he's saying that'll max out your life. You will be totally filled. You will see faith, love, and hope springing about you all over the place. And when that happens, the world will say, without saying a word, 
I see victory in that community. And that's what he's talking about. Do we want to be those people? If we want to be those people, if we want to be those families, if we want to be that community to St. John's and to Portland as the opportunity is on the table for God to use us, if you want to be an instrument of God to bring him glory among darkness, if you want to be used and have the light of Jesus Christ fill you and max you out and to move you into darkness, then you must be convicted. This is key. I cannot believe how key this is. This is everything. This is the nugget that you came to get this morning, is are you a deeply convicted person? If you do not know how to listen to the Spirit of God, then you are not having God's best. If God is telling you, get away from this, get away from this, and you know the situation. I'm not going to make them all up. Get away from this, and God is going, move this way, move this way. We're going this way. And you're like, this is a bad parking lot, God. Why is everybody telling me to go this way? This just seems like a traffic nightmare. Actually, the nightmare is the wide road where all of the traffic is going and where the traffic is not responding to God. And God says, there's a narrow road right here. I've got it for you. The Holy Spirit is moving you and convicting you, and you refuse to listen. I'm speaking to you right now. If you cannot hear what I'm talking about today and these scriptures are just boring or not exciting to you or the proposal to live a maximum life, if you're totally satisfied in the normal, I'm not talking to you. But if there's a quickening in your heart and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want this life. I don't have the guts for this life. I've never made this life happen. Then let God tear it up. Take your life and change your life. It's called repentance. I'm convicted. I have done wrong before you, God. The word of God is speaking to you today. It is not me. It is these words that are speaking to you and penetrating your heart. There is an evidence of grace here. If you're looking for love, faith, and hope, it's here at Red Sea because God, we are in Christ. It is not because we've incorporated ourselves with Oregon, or it's because we're really getting more organized and we can collect more people, or there's enough sexiness going on around here that people are attracted. Here's the deal. God is saying, conviction. Are you a convicted people? And I want you to know that there are convicted people here. There are people that have been transformed. When he says, I am so thankful. I cannot look into this audience without being stirred in my heart. Totally thankful for the, that God saved you. And I know so many of the stories of God's saving grace. That God loves you so much that he's brought you home to him. And some of you, I don't know, I don't know if it's one of you or five of you or ten of you or a hundred of you are saying, that's not for me. I just can't have this. I know that it's not for me. I just don't get this. I seem dry. He is yelling his head off right now, and it's making me uncomfortable. It's not the volume that I'm speaking. It's the truth that the Holy Spirit is bringing it with. And... I made these cards just last night as I was thinking about some of our thought patterns as we're missing out on what God is saying and we're missing out on this deeply satisfying life. And I just want you to know that this is what it looks like when maximum life takes place.
This is our story. This is who we are. Each one of us could hold these cards. This is our story. Max life happens when we have max conviction. When God asks you to take a different turn than the others. When God is calling you, we hear and we obey. He says this in verse 6, as he calls them and he says, this maximum life, but then he starts to talk about the max community that they are. They become a paradigm for others. If you look at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all. We talked about that tension between affliction and joy. That, that tension that you're in is how a new creation is born through Jesus. That without the Holy Spirit, you cannot live a Christ-like life. How are we to be impacted? Somebody was praying this morning with one of the guys I was praying with. Is This max life doesn't happen. You cannot be imitatable until you've been impacted. So how, how can you be impacted? How can anybody imitate you to be an instrument of, for the Lord? How can we model this? How can we get past these cards? How can we say... I understand this is rare, this max life is rare, that most people are choosing the wide road, that I'm, I've even scorned the preciousness of the treasure of this. He says this, so that you became an example in verse, uh, let's see, verse 8, for not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He's describing who they've become. For they themselves report concerning us a kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols. So if you're looking for what he's saying is the max life and the max message, he's saying here's the two keys. He's saying... As the word rang out from them in verse 8, he says, verse 9, he says, that you are focusing from dead idols to a living God. He's saying the two keys are that you, one, you would leave idolatry. So what is idolatry? That sounds like an ancient word. We don't, I, I can remember the Brady Bunch, they found this idol years and years ago on their beach trip to Hawaii on their max vacation. 
And they found a max idol, and, and it brought all these bad things upon them. But um, is that the idol that we're talking about? No, the idol is what you're bowing to. It can be a person or an ideology. You may say, I have Christ, but I still really want these side things. I have Christ, but you know, when I'm in community, I want these certain things to take place the way that I want them to. Your idol may be comfort. Idolatry comes through, fr- through the flesh. I almost said through fresh. It comes th- through the flesh. He's saying to have deep conviction doesn't mean that you're seeking deep comfort, deep satisfaction in your luxury. Do you hear the labor of love? Do you hear the atmosphere of which he's talking about? He's saying for you to be wholehearted and maximum, a person who's passionately looking for this, then you will turn from ideology, whether it's an institution, a spirit, a person. He's saying you're going to look at what you're serving because what you serve and you bow to shapes you. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is what is the real power that's shaping you today? Write that down. What is the real power that I'm paying attention to on Tuesdays? Is it the cranky boss? So Tuesdays are shot. It's hard to glorify God or have a max life because that boss is now what I'm yielding to. Is it when the bills come in and now I'm all stressed out and I don't know how all of these will be paid for? Or is it an ideology? Is it, is it some construct that's in your head that you keep putting on other people? Namely, the, those who you're most comfortable putting those constructs on, the way you want things to be, usually starting with the people closest to you. And then finally, it can get here. That's idolatry. He's saying... You have to turn from the idol, the focus that you really focus on. The, here's what an idol does. An idol nourishes all the way down to the root of your sin. It nourishes your sin. When you go, this is more important than anything. This is what's, what will demand my time. This is what I will sacrifice for. That's your idol, and that's what you're being shaped by. And he's saying, if you're not having a max life, you need to get rid of that. You need to not allow that. If it's a reconfiguration in your marriage, you need to not pay attention to the issue that seems to be consuming your marriage, no matter how noble you think it is. Even if you think it's something that belongs in the kingdom, you may miss it. If you're focused on an idol, and some of them can sound very legitimate, but you need to look at what are you being most influenced by. Where is the transformation not happening? Where are you not deeply convicted? That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, we see a normal life lacks conviction. It becomes squishy and mushy out in culture. We're used to life without power. Here's how I know this. We're used to this in the church. When I go places, I talked to a pastor this week of a, of a big daddy church. This happens all of the time. I tell a few stories that we're seeing in faith, love, and hope, evidence of, of grace. And I'm not making us right because we need to 
continually focus on Jesus. But when a few of these stories happen, you'll be amazed. I've talked to people at big churches say, somebody hasn't come to Christ here in three years. This is not happening. People are not changing from liars to truth tellers. People are bound and not free because of this gospel. This gospel, the story of Jesus has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and you must be deeply convicted. So, what is the application? The application is for you to be with God this week seeking His face. Seeking His scriptures. Seeking what God is saying to you and responding moving? Are you malleable? Are you teachable? Are you faithful to God's ways? And can you be moved? Can God maximize His message in you? First one was to turn from idolatry and begin worshiping a living God. Getting rid of the roots of your sin, getting rid of the idolatry that is your functional Savior. And then number two is to live as a servant of the King, not only a subscriber. Do not just say, yes, Jesus is my king. Yes, I love that he reigns in his kingdom, but that you serve him actively. God shows up when you begin to serve the king. That's where he shapes you. That's where affliction and joy sit, is in ministry. Now, last verse. We made it all the way. Verse 10. He He says, this maximum community, this maximum growth comes down to a maximum kingdom where the maximum God is. And it says this, and to wait, well, let's do nine. For they themselves report concerning of us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10 says this, and to wait for his son from heaven. See, we're an expectant church. We're in expectation. Just like when we started praying. He says, you are to be an example, an imitator of the gospel way, and you are to, and by being that example, you also show the world that you're waiting for the Savior. Are you waiting for the Savior? If you have salvation, and salvation is growing in you, and you're conforming and being made in the likeness of God through the power of Jesus, then you're next step in life is to go, I want to max this kingdom life. I have salvation. I'm walking with you. I'm obeying you. And as that community says, we have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we are awaiting him. Because the Holy Spirit is not only revealing things about him, he's showing us who he is. And the more we know his character and the more we spend time with Jesus, the more I want to be with him. When I was a young buck in the Marines, I went to the Marines and I found this girl named Daisy. And every time I would go to, on mission in the Marines, I would think about this girl named Daisy. And the more I knew her, the more I didn't want to be with the Marines, I wanted to be with her. And that's what God's saying. The more you're on your mission, the more you know me and get off of your own mission. And the more that, that you know me, you'll do anything to be with me. You will think about me so much that you will want my total presence and kingdom come. If you have salvation, you need to revisit it and say, am I thankful for this, for the one who gave this to me? I cannot wait to see the one who gave this to me, who made this possible for me. I want to meet this max God who's behind this max life. 
if you like the way life is here or you're like, well, I don't want to forfeit pieces of my worldly life, then start to question what salvation means to you. Start to question who God is in your life. Because it says this in verse 10, it says the power of resurrection, that's the most prominent of all of our teachings, that we await Christ because he's alive. Okay, so I want to close with this. John 10. Let's go to verse 10. Now let's start at 7. John 10, verse 7 says this. As we think about this maximum life, there was a maximum cost. But there is a... Our God is maxed. Is maxed there's no higher. We don't need to seek another God. We don't need to seek an idol. We don't need a new focus. It's saying this. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone entered by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that, he, that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's saying, I came so that you would live life to the max. The other one is normalizing what it means to be in a stealing, killing, and destroying atmosphere. Not one that is evidences of grace, right? Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, idolatry, right? The idol, the counterfeit. The false god sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. See, when the affliction comes there's, there's, and destruction, there's fleeing from that. There's no waiting around for joy because the idol is not laying its life down for you. That other institution, that person, that mindset you're holding on to, that control card, whatever your deck of cards that you're playing to try and get your life to maximize, when you're trying to start a bad car, those cylinders are not going to go. He's saying, one has showed up that will take you to find pastures, give you rest, will be the good shepherd, will lay his life down so all of your c- cylinders flow. So your life will max out. And he's saying it cost him his life, and he lays that down. He's talking about the bad one. Verse 13, the wolf. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He laid his life down. We break this bread. We talk every week about this. In some weeks, we should probably not do this. We should just sit and contemplate, are we really thankful about his broken body? Are we really thankful about him at Calvary and being beaten and scourged and, and, and abused and insulted? Yet he said nothing. Jesus did not defend himself because he didn't need to. He knew the plan. He knew what it meant to live forever. He knows what it means to win more than conquers, and he's passed that way to us. And he laid his life down for his sheep. 
so that they would know life abundant. So that there would be a sharp contrast between the wide and normal life and the narrow and precious treasured road that God is calling us to. But we must have deep conviction. Bring your convictions today. And today, I'm going to lay these cards out all along here. And I would like you to meet each other. I would like you to pray for each other. I would like people to come down. And maybe you're the first one, the one who has all the guts, but you have a deep conviction to come to this makeshift throne, this makeshift place, this symbol of saying, I want my life to be maxed out. In order for that to happen, I need to be moved by you. And if you see someone up here, would you pray with them? And when you come up here, would you think about that you might be able to pray for the person who shows up beside you? Because as we journey together, as we partner the way Paul did with Silas and Timothy, as we pass this message on, we all are realizing that there's a ringing going on. The max life rings from the cross of Jesus. So as we all come to the cross of Jesus, let that change the way that we hear and the direction of our life and the way that we treat one another. Let us seek these evidences of grace that we see in this scripture. Let us be these people that Portland and St. John's. I get thank you notes from St. John's, by the way. I should read them more. We love Red Sea. We thank you so much for letting us use your tables and we return them smelling like beer from the No Fest or whatever. They say that. Thank you that you let us be messy with you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you. And what they're, they don't know they're saying is, you are such a loved person by God that you love me, that you have so much abundant life that it spills out from you to me. That's who we are. That's at least who God died for. Let's, let us not only Him die for us, the demonstration of His love, not that we would just declare it, but let us receive it and be this community, okay? Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank You for this Scripture. We thank You for the people of Thessalonica, we thank you that they were people that were imitatable, that they were good learners, they were great disciples, that they learned and then they were imitatable, and that their example was that when their teachers went to talk to culture, they said, oh yeah, we know them. We all know them. That Paul didn't even have to speak or open his mouth, that the community's expression of the gospel was so deep and rich and thick and such a blessing among others that it rang the cross, that Jesus was heard, that Jesus was understood, that people saw a holistic message, that there was no separating the people from the message or the mission, that it was all one, intertwined. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the trifecta of what grace is about, faith, love, and hope. But we thank you about the trifecta of uh, Max God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Son. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. We seek you, Holy Spirit. We want to be deeply convicted that at the core of our being, you would be directing us, that you would choose our words that we would be an instrument that would glorify you so that people would see our lives as a monument, a standing up of righteousness before you that would display your glory among 
the dark and broken. That we would be people so sent, so sent, so deeply sent in the darkness that you would use us to call them to yourselves. As you send us out, you call them in. As you send us out, you call them in. Help us to stand boldly in Jesus, in this authority. We love you so very much, God. I thank you so much for our stories. I thank you for all those cards. There's only 10 cards there, and I toiled over which ones to write, but there's so many more written. There's so many circumstances that have been changed and so many lives that are maxing out. Let us be yours. and Let them see the DNA of the Holy Spirit. We love you, God. We look forward to coming to the table deeply convicted by the ways that you want us to turn from our sin so that you may be further glorified. We love you and we thank you for your power. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.